0: Now, just to recap, uh, I've said a lot uh, so far, but just to remind you of this, that in chapter 1 of the book of Ezra, the author is dealing with the release of the people or the restoration of the people from Babylon. (laughs) And this uh, was due to the king of Persia, Cyrus by name, and uh, as you can remember i hope the titles that are given to him in the scriptures the lord calls him now he's an ungodly man he's a pagan man but the lord god called him his anointed he also called him my shepherd and i showed you way back then that in this he points us to the lord jesus christ who is god's anointed and the good shepherd of his people And uh, Cyrus was also the king. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the anointed. He's the good shepherd. And, of course, he's the king of kings. And the people were released because of what King Cyrus did. He defeated the enemy. He destroyed the power of the enemy. And because he did that, because he achieved that, then he was able to secure the release of the exiles allowing them to return to the land of Israel. And do we not have here a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the good shepherd, God's anointed. He defeated the enemy of souls at the place called Calvary through the shedding of his blood. And through the shedding of his blood, he has secured for his people redemption, release from bondage, a hope for heaven. So the book of Ezra written about things that happened long, long ago is right up to date because Christ is here, the gospel is here, the message of salvation is in this book. So the first chapter deals with the release or the restoration of the people after 70 years. The second chapter deals with the registration of the people. It's a list of name after name after name, And this reminds us of the people who returned with Zerubbabel. Remember, he was the chief leader. He was the prince of Judah. And in this, he's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ again. It was his responsibility. He received the commission from the king to lead the people back to the land of Israel to build a temple. Christ is here. Do you see that? Christ is here again. And we have redemption through his blood And all those redeemed by precious blood have their names recorded in heaven. Now that's good to know that, that your name and my name is actually recorded in the roll books of heaven in the Lamb's Book of Life. So even in this second chapter, in this registration of names, that reminds us that every redeemed soul has his or her name written down in heaven. And uh, that, that... it really encourages me because that indicates that we have eternal redemption it's not something that's here today and gone tomorrow but it's eternal and uh, we are as good as in heaven and we may have a lot of trials and troubles before we get to heaven but the promise of god's word is it will be there when the role is called up yonder uh, i'll be there so we have that thought in the second chapter and then we come to the third chapter what's it all about well, it's about the responsibility of the people because they became co laborers with Zerubbabel, who's a type of Christ. Zerubbabel had the commission to build a temple and these other people who had returned, they were co laborers of him and aiding him in doing this great work. We are co laborers with Christ. Christ is the, the temple builder, he's the church builder. But it pleases him to use us to evangelize, to preach in the open air, to preach in the regular Lord's Day services, to witness with a gospel tract, whatever, to extend his kingdom, to build up his work. So gospel's here in this particular book of Ezra. Now when the Jews returned to uh, Jerusalem, they found a scene of utter desolation. Why do we say that? For decades, the testimony of God lay in, a desolate state physically and spiritually. The city was in ruins. The temple had been destroyed. And the cause of God to all outward appearance <coughs> seemed to be well nigh extinct. It would have been easy for this remnant of less than 50,000 people to rest it content with the bare fact that they had arrived in Jerusalem safe and sound and that they were beginning to get resettled in the homeland. It would have been easy for them to have thought in this way, but there was the king's business. And the king's business, as we know, requires haste. What was the king's business? It was building the temple. It was a matter of first things first. That's the challenge, first things first. So how did they set about restoring the worship of God and rebuilding the temple? Well, we find the answers here in uh, Ezra chapter 3 where we have a record of a great move of the Spirit. That's what we need tonight, a great move of the Spirit. We need a great move of the Spirit in this congregation. We need a great move of the Spirit in our prayer meetings, in our preaching meetings, in Sunday School Life, in Young People's Fellowship, open air work. We need a gracious moving of the Holy Spirit. Well, the God who moved away back in the days of Ezra is alive today. And better still, he's here with us by the Spirit in this time of prayer. It's just a prayer way. And if we have any kind of burden for the work of God, we can express that when we come to pray, bring it to the Lord in prayer, and leave it with him. Now, the chapter begins, the people gathered themselves together as one man. Now, I have three things that I hope to say about this gathering, but I may not be able to get to that point. But I want to try anyway. First of all, there is the point of their gathering. The point of their gathering. Why did the people gather on this occasion? And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in their cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Well, why have we gathered here tonight? We've come to pray, yes, but I hope we've come to worship God. That's the challenge. We've come to pray, to listen to the preaching of the word, but have we come to worship God? This was a public uh, gathering, and this is a reminder of the church's responsibility to assemble for public worship. Now, it's one thing during a pandemic to be able to switch on a computer or a TV or use sermon audio and see these things it's very nice it's cozy and so on especially if you can't get out but all things being equal it's the responsibility of the people of God to gather together for public worship because you can't sense the Spirit of God moving through a TV screen or through a computer you've got to be there where the Spirit of God is there's liberty you can sense the Lord taking the word. Now people can be blessed listening to sermons on sermon audio, etc., etc. There's no doubt about that. Please don't misunderstand me. But you just can't sense that personal touch of the spirit when it comes to warm the heart, under the ministry, under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. I do believe this was a spontaneous response, a spontaneous uh, gathering. You see, for seven years they had no temple. For 70 years, they had no altar. For 70 years, they had no worship gatherings like this. And I do believe that the 42,000 plus the others, adding up to just under 50,000, I do believe that the 50,000 gather on this occasion as one man. Because they had missed worship. They had missed meeting with God. I know that uh, in Babylon in the days of Ezra, he was the one who organized the synagogue movement. And thank God for that. He probably compiled the Old Testament scriptures as well and was the author of other Bible books. But this was something new for them to come back. And they were glad to be there. They were glad to go to Babylon. Hallelujah. They were glad to have their freedom again. They they were still under the the Persians. It was a providence of the Persian Empire. They were still attached to the Persians in that way, but they had civil and religious liberty, if you like, to come now to worship God. Now, the chapter divides into two parts. Uh, The first part is verses 1 through 7. I suppose we could give a title to that, Getting Set for the Work as preparatory Work You know, when you're going to do a a job of work, there's got to be the preparation, getting the tools gathered together and the materials and all that kind of thing. You've got to get that put put in order. And then the second part uh, is chapter, uh, this chapter, verses eight through 13, getting started in the work. They have everything gathered together and then they begin to work. So there's an order here. They raise the altar first before they start to build the temple before they lay the foundation and that indicates that the establishment of worship precedes the building of the temple you think about the Lord's prayer let's start it our Father which art in heaven oh we're looking up to the Lord we're worshipping God We're opening our hearts to him. We're in his presence. We've come to adore him. We've come to worship him. We've come to give him the praise. So I'm saying that before they started the work, they worshipped. And we need to take a few minutes when we come into the house of God just to be still, to sit and reflect for a little time to get our hearts prepared for worship. It will make a difference, you know, in a prayer meeting. Any kind of meeting. Oh, we can be busy rushing here and rushing there to get to the meeting and so on. And we rush in and we sit down. We never get a chance to pray. And a lot of the message just goes over the head. We we don't want it to go there. We want it to get here, you see, to the heart. Our Father, which art in heaven, we need to get focused on God. And then you can see that praise precedes petitions. Worship precedes petitions. We bring our needs to him, yes, but we begin by focusing on him on the one who can give answers to prayer, on the one who's all-powerful, omnipotent, almighty, who knows the needs before we ask and before we bring them to him. And he's just waiting to bestow those blessings. He's just waiting for the cry. He's just waiting for the man or the woman to open their mouths in prayer. And he will fill the mouth when you come with a desire to pray. And he will bestow blessing after blessing. So there's worship before work. Or we could put it in a slightly different way. There's the heart before hands. We worship with the heart. We work with our hands. Now, I thought about this today in the study earlier this morning. And the first time worship was mentioned That word worship is mentioned. There was worship before uh, Genesis 22 verse 5. But Genesis 22 verse 5. I and the lad will go yonder to worship and come again to you. Uh, These are the words of uh, Abraham. Uh, We're going to go and worship. And listen to it. God was saying to him. I want you to offer your son as a sacrifice. So Abraham had faith. He believed in the resurrection because he said, I and the Lord will go together and will worship and will come again. So he believed that he was going to do the will of God by offering Isaac as a sacrifice, but he believed that God had power to raise him from the dead. Oh, Isaac is a type of Jesus Christ who died and was raised again from the dead. A wonderful picture there, you know. It's good to dwell upon gospel truth in the Old Testament. It thrills your soul by God giving to us these pictures. He knows what kind of people we are. You know, if you get a magazine or something and you open a few pages, or some of our magazines there, you you want to look at the pictures to see if you know anybody. Look at this picture. You look at the picture first and then you you read what the story is all about. And the Lord gives us these wonderful pictures in the Bible. And then he wants us to have a good look at it. And then find out what he says about it. And so we have these wonderful pictures. I and the lad go yonder to worship and come again to you. God said to Abraham in verse 2, I want you to offer up Isaac. And immediately he set off to offer his son. That's the heart response. That was worship. The father spoke. And Abraham said in his heart, I'm worshiping thee as God. I trust thee with all my heart. I'll do exactly what you tell me to do. That's worship. He's giving God his rightful place. I'm going to go through with God. It doesn't matter what anybody else may think. I'm going through with God. And he worships God and he obeys the Lord. And he goes to the place with his son. And he places him on the altar after he's made this altar. And then the Bible says, the Bible says, that he stretched forth his hand. So he wasn't just a hearer of the word, but he became a doer of the word. So first of all, there's the heart. There's the worship part. He responds to God. God speaks to him. I want you to do this. And Abraham says in the heart, yes, because you're my redeemer, my God, I'll do it with all my heart. And then he goes and then extends the hand because you work with the hand, you see. Worship precedes work. The heart precedes the hand. And here's a man who was prepared to do all that the Lord asked him to do. His heart was right with God. And because his heart was right with God, the work that he did was perfect as well. That that would not have been an easy thing for Abraham to do. He'd waited for a long time for this son. And now God is testing him. He's saying, Abraham... You see that boy you've waited for and prayed for for years. I've given him to you, but I want you to offer him to me just to prove how much you love me. God, that man held nothing back from God. And that's the only answer. Never hold anything back from God. If you want to be blessed, never hold anything back from God. And he'll see to it that all your needs are met and all the blessings you require bestowed in his own good time. He never fails. He's not a cruel God. He's not an angry God. He's a loving God, a merciful God. His mercies are new every morning. We can truly say, great is thy faithfulness. When you think of the story of of Noah, well, you read there about him building an ark, before he built an altar well this is a different thing because the ark speaks of the means of salvation so he enters into this ark god has told him to build the ark their salvation and then once he gets out of the ark onto dry land he builds an altar that's the sacrifice so he's showing gratitude to god for his salvation in the ark so there's the grace of salvation noah found grace in the sight of the Lord or in the eyes of the Lord and then as a token of his appreciation he comes and he gets an, a, a sacrifice on the altar and there that appears to God as a sweet smelling incense he showed his, his gratitude so a sinner comes to give God thanks for saving his or her soul we need to be grateful to him for what he's done for us think about what he used to be Think about the things you used to get up to. I'm implying that to myself. Think of the the life that we lived, the sinful practices, the wickedness, the wretchedness of life, the lying, the deception, every sin that you could ever name. But tonight by the blood of Christ, they're gone. They're under the blood of the Lamb. And this has come to us as a gift of God's grace. And as a token of our thankfulness to God, let us rejoice in the sacrifice that was made, and be glad that we have a full salvation in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ who never fails. The first time that Abraham did worship, and I discovered this today as well, as in Genesis chapter 18. The Lord had appeared unto him, revealed himself to him, And we're told what he did. Remember, he's sitting there in the door of the tent. He's trying to get a little breeze from the wilderness there. Uh, It's sultry in the tent, and he's just sitting there meditating, thinking about the Lord, no doubt. And then he looks up, and he sees these three strangers, and he identifies one of them as the Lord. What did he do when the Lord came into his camp he bowed himself toward the ground. That's the word worship. Now, it's not the actual word worship in the, in the text, but bowed down is the same word in the original. Here, he bowed before the Lord. He fell down before him. Now, when you think of this, Abraham was asked to make a heart-wrenching sacrifice of his only son she says, I and the ladder will go and worship. I will bow down. Now, here's a man. This was a serious thought. He he found that to be an occasion to worship when God asked him to give a son. He worshiped. He didn't complain, didn't run away from the, the situation. No, he worshiped the Lord. It's a hard thing to do that. This was a man of faith. What about Job after he received the tragic news of the loss of his uh, servants and his business and goods and the children? He fell down upon the ground and worshipped. He lost his family. And he fell down to worship God. What kind of a man was he? Man of faith. And you know when you come to the last chapters of the book of Job. The Lord Gave to him twice as many things that they'd lost. Doubled up on the the animals and even on the family. The Lord doubled up, you see. The end is not yet and the best is still to be. That was the case of Job. But when he received that news, he fell down before the Lord and he worshipped. What about David? Remember the time uh, when the child that Bathsheba had to him, when the child died? David had been refusing food and so on praying and asking God to be gracious to the child. But then the news came, the child is dead. He gets up and he washes himself and he shaves himself and he puts on clean clothes. And came in, they came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He worshipped. What kind of a man was he? Oh, well, he wasn't perfect, but he was a man of faith. It takes faith to do that, to worship. And things like that happen. Jacob, as he came to, to die, he worshipped leaning upon the top of a staff. He's an old man. He's leaning upon the, the, the top of a staff, the very staff that held him up, you know. And he's worshipping God. Ezra, upon reading the Word of God from the outdoor pulpit, he was an open air preacher. Remember the time when the rain came on and they were standing listening to the word and preaching the word, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Let us come before Him tonight and worship the Lord. Th- that word worship comes from an old English word which may- combines two words ascribe worth. The triune God is worthy of our praise. Matthew six thirty three, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They've been away for seventy years. They had no altar. They had no altar. But Jesus teaches in John chapter four that we are to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. To worship him in spirit and in truth. So we can worship God in a barn. We can worship God on a hillside, under the open canopy of heaven, or in a regular church building. The real temple is the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why the Lord wants us to worship him before we go on to build the temple. The real temple is the hearts of the people of God. The first thing Noah then after he emerged from the ark was to build an altar. The first thing Abraham did when he entered into the land of Canaan, he built an altar. The altar was a place where God promised to meet with his people. Exodus 29, he's promised to meet with us here. For two or three are gathered together my name, there am I in their midst. He's here tonight. His ear's open. His eye is upon the righteous. He's given us tremendous promises to plead before him tonight. We have unsaved loved ones. We have unsaved family members. Our land is in a mess. Our church needs reviving. We need a preacher. We need power for ministry. We need God to move in our midst in these times. What are we doing about it? We can complain about it. Worship before work. Worship before activity. Open your heart to the Lord. Let him fill the heart with praise. Let him pour upon us the spirit of adoration and thanksgiving. Oh, come, let us adore him. Why? For he alone is worthy. He's worthy of all of our praise. He's done so much for us. He's redeemed us by his precious blood. And you will notice that they gather together As one man in verse 1. Then if you look down there at verse 9, then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren. So in verse 1, they're gathered together. Verse 9, they stood together. And then if you look down at verse 11, and they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks. Here they're worshiping together. They are in unity. So they're gathering together as the people of God. They're standing together as the people of God. And they're worshiping together as the people of God. Remember that Psalm, Psalm 133? The unity of the brethren is described under the symbol of the anointing oil poured upon Aaron's head. Aaron's head the great high priest that speaks to us of Christ. He's the head of the church. And then that anointing oil flowed down over his whole body, the chest, to the arms, the legs, and the feet. The body speaks to us of Christ. Head of the church is Christ. The rest, the body of Christ. We share in his anointing as the people of god we're together we're not enemies we're not foes we're friends we're colleagues we're brethren and sisters in christ and where there is this kind of unity there will be the spirit of prayer the spirit of worship the spirit of adoration the spirit of thanksgiving there will be liberty to pray where the spirit of god is there's liberty If the Spirit of God's in a meeting like this, there will be liberty to pray. I don't sit back and let other people pray. We've got a serious responsibility to enter in and pray for ourselves. And it's good to pray one for the other. But I think it's even better to pray for oneself. You need to pray for you. I need to pray for me. But we also need to pray for others as well. And so you get that wonderful picture of the anointing oil, the Spirit of God that fell upon Christ or Christ is baptized with that Spirit. It runs down to the whole body and with the Spirit of God there's liberty, freedom, the power to pray, the power to preach, the power to worship. And we give expression to this unity as we Join for fellowship as we joy for prayer. Join for prayer and joy for breaking of bread. That's what the church will be doing on Sunday. Gathering together. Where the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. Harmony is essential in the work of God. Trouble or adversity grieves the Spirit of God. We leave the rest of them the message in our time. Let's get down to pray. I would like as many as possible, please, to enter in tonight. Keep our prayers short to the point. Pray a couple of times if need be. Well, three times if need be. Let's seek the Lord together. I will ask a brother McLean, Stephen, to pray, please. Thank you, Stephen.